Oh, hello. This episode was brought to you with the support of our backers over at patreon.com forward slash cinema swirl. If you become a $5 backer, you will get access to every episode of Cinema Swill, a show where Kevin and I review bad movies. Our 19th episode, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, has just been released, and let me tell you, it was extraordinarily fun to review. We release a new episode of Cinema Swill every month exclusively on our Patreon. Oh, and next month we're doing Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, so you wouldn't want to miss that one. To find out more and to see what exclusive goodies are available, head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinemaswirl. Just before we get into this one, if you haven't seen this film before, there are some particularly distressing scenes which we will be discussing in the episode. There should be a content warning in the description, we just wanted to make you aware. So with that all in mind, let's get swirling. Cinema Swirl, a casserole of dicks. It's episode number 66, strolling through the pristine suburbia of Hollywood, California, looking at all the immaculate picket fences and questioning nothing but what movies are on the shelves of the houses of the people who live there. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, looking at all these films with my OTP, Sam Chaplin. Hello to you, Sam. Hello to you, Kevin. Listeners, Kevin asked me just before we went on air, as it were. Oh, I've used plate of dicks before, haven't I? So I was, I was glad to hear you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. We got a few of those in there. Look, I think if anything, that shows the evolution of the podcast. Yeah. And the, uh, the journey that we've all been on. I hear casserole of dicks, mm-hmm. right? And then I hear you say plate of dicks. And I, it's like you ever go on like a time hop or something. You go, oh, that's me seven years ago. Jesus, now. Yeah. Not so. You think I've come a long way, you know? Recognisable, but different. And that's... We're at the casserole of dicks stage of our podcast, and that's important. That is this level of growth that we're at here on Cinema Swirl, and that is why today we're doing a a very different type of episode. So there's a lot of different types of episodes of Cinema Swirl, Sam. I think we can both agree on that. We can, yes. You know, I mean, sometimes we go into action. There's a spooky swirl, obviously. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it gets, you know, a little bit of a comedy swirl on here. But sometimes we maybe think, let's do something a little bit different. You know, let's maybe think a little bit outside the box and approach a, a different type of movie altogether and if the plays on those types of episodes are anything to go by it's definitely earned the moniker of bad fucking news uh, the, these episodes that's their bad fucking news is what it is sam they're cult favorites okay is what they are mm-hmm. they're, you know niche interest <laughs> and there's nothing sam. wrong with that you are aware, and I, I want to just be very, very clear here. We are doing a David Lynch swirl today, yes? Yes, yes, we are. Yes. I've heard in Hollywood there's some pretty crackers loon jobs out there, right? But uh, this David Lynch guy, he's as wacky as he is prolific. Famously zany, right, David Lynch? Yeah? Pretty much, you know. I mean, zany is the name of the game. Mysteries are going to be afoot. And I have to address the elephant in the room right now, Sam. Well, there probably would be an elephant in the 
room in one of David Lynch's <laughs> films, wouldn't they? You'd probably just put an elephant in there and not explain it, and everyone would be like, oh, wow, that's so clever. And, and you know what? I realised in addressing the elephant in the room, sure. I realised, you know, when you're about to address the elephant in the room, you quickly check with the other people in the room their level of knowledge of elephants, just so you're not going to be like, look at that African elephant. And they're like, that's Indian, though. And it's, you know, you don't want to be at cross purposes. So what do you know about David Lynch? What have you seen? All right. So I feel like we have quite a bit to get into here. Oh, boy. Okay. So I know of David Lynch, and I know a lot of people who really like David Lynch. Now, yeah. I'm going to press the heart react button there on Skype now that you said that there. There we go. Oh, I agree nice. with that. Yes, I know people who like David Lynch. I have watched season one of Twin Peaks mm. and thought it was good. Good. I have not watched season two, although I know what happens in season two because, and this comes up from time to time, for some sort of assignment for college, I had to analyse various reviews and I think this was an English assignment. What, like A-level a English or GCSEs? I think A-level English, perhaps. Huh? Well, it might or have been as, media, as, but... Sorry, the equivalent back home in Ireland, that should be your A-levels that you'd be doing, okay? It just happened to be, like, articles and writing about Twin Peaks when it was out in the 90s. So I remember reading a lot about it and thinking, oh, I might check this thing out. And I remember thinking my English teacher was a pretty cool dude. <laughs> Guys, what does Fight Club even mean? Like? <laughs> so I've seen some of Twin Peaks. I've seen David Lynch on a few episodes of Louie, which, I mean, now... Uh, but at the time, I thought, you know, th uh, this guy's kind of got a, a strange energy. This he, He's kind of funny. He's kind of cool. He's got f good, good hair. I think as someone who, like, doesn't know where that word, what it means to a lot of people, so it can be taken many ways, but he is authentically, genuinely strange. And yes. I, I mean that. I mean that as a compliment. There's a fascination with people who are strange, and there's nothing more heartbreaking than finding out that someone you think is really fascinating is actually, like, an absolute dullard, for instance. Instance, mm. you know and he's managed to keep that so like does that come across that fascination because like i mean i watch him read weather reports and paint meat and stuff like that i am oddly fascinated with this silly man i think i have one of my many issues here which is that the cult around david lynch and the strangeness kind of rankles with me a little bit i feel bill murray syndrome again yeah, is, this, yeah. is that it bill murray syndrome and this has happened to me with the most famous musical example i can think of is the Smith myths in okay. everyone who I know would be like, oh, Sam, you got you, you should love the Smiths. You can hear the influence in everything that you like is influenced by the Smiths. It's the sort of thing that you would like. You should like it. And I'm like, no, I actually like the diluted, watered-down version of the thing that you like. I'm not just... I don't want to just neck straight cordial. So you're, you're saying you're going for more of a Calvita than a strong Shopshire cheese is what you're telling me there. I think that's what I'm telling you, yes. Um... <laughs> And uh, this was before we knew how much of a piece of shit Morrissey was. But I think the kind of vibe there still stands. That I kind of like David Lynch. I like the idea of David Lynch. But sometimes, right, I see things around Twin Peaks and other David Lynch things, and I, do I feel like I'm slightly left out and I don't quite get it. Do you get the sense that mm. he comes across like 
Not that he, he you, you owe him stuff, but like a lot of fans, and I'm going to try and keep my fucking David Lynch fanboy hat on, he says, sipping from his David Lynch commemorative mug he got at his art exhibition last year in Manchester, before I went to see the excellent screening of Eraserhead, which frankly should have won the vote. But, I mean, <laughs> is it stuff like that, the fact that people like me are fascinated by it, or is it like little in-jokes, or is it like, because I find like, I have a lot of friends who are super into Lynch, and mm. they love to like really engage with the Discord course and like learn you know learn lynch learn cinema and like you know as you can obviously tell from this podcast i'm nothing if not a scholar of the filmly ways <laughs> but is it just straight up pretension is that why you don't like him the folks you know it's because it's hard to understand and there's a superiority complex there can we boil it down to that it feels like it's definitely a me issue in that i watched twin peaks and i liked it but i wasn't super duper invested in it and you know obsessed with it Mm -hmm. and i think when i see that level of joy and obsession i just feel a bit left out it's kind of like you see this light in other people and you just kind of want to snuff it out almost is that fair to say sam look i don't want to yuck people's yum all right i i don't (laughs) want to you know put out those fires but i would like to be on fire kevin if you could fire walk with me for a second hey now i want to see i know bits about it because everyone i fucking know loves david lynch and i'm just here's the thing sam with your fandom of david lynch and i think this is something quite specific to you and i don't know how often Mm. it'll ever come across on an episode but there are certain things where if you see this big fandom that I feel you actually do end up absorbing a lot of actually I feel like you know a lot more about David Lynch than even you would realise because there's kind of the neighbour peeking over the fence I don't know if it's an English thing yeah, like yeah. them over there with their movies and d- their their TV I've seen a lot of bits I know bits I know mm. various symbols and signs and things that are Lynch related like you you basically you've had as much of a look as like if my my dad came into my room and suddenly decided, you know, at age of nine that he hated my street sharks and he went through all of the street sharks like, look at this, look at big slam, what, big slam, what is this, and slobster, what is that, and you've seen lots of bits but you've not necessarily appreciated them in their presented form, is that it? Have you seen lots of, like, David Lynch memes and things? I've seen those sorts of things, it's the whole world of people that I know around me are all really into this, and I don't blame them, and I don't hate David Lynch and I don't look I I need to make that clear this is not like I think it's rubbish and everyone else is wrong I feel like everyone else is right and I'm stupid have I ever or have you ever called me just and this isn't me like fishing for trouble folks I've not got my needle out I'm not fixing for a pop here all right okay I'm game for a giggle I don't know if I'm game for a you know a a scrap (laughs) but I want to an- you to answer this question honestly. Yeah. Have I ever made you feel left out in any way with my David Lynch fandom? Because you have seen me probably like at my worst when like Twin because Twin Peaks. I watched that for the first time. When I was like fifteen. It blew mm. me away. And then they had a return of it like a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, my life is complete. And yeah. I must have imagined it was like awful was it 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 wasn't awful and it it, i I have no fault with you sir oh you know and there's a lot of things that i've been left out of obviously that's the nature of this bloody podcast but so so with twin peaks the revival i remember hearing about the discourse so twin peaks came back everyone very excited you know that's great the thing that you loved that you really liked is now coming back cool wait and i saw people talking about it and there was like oh in this episode a man sweeps 
uh, room with a broom for 20 minutes. And I tell you, it was the most beautiful, cinematic, important <laughs> piece of television I've ever oh, seen. And look, there's more to it, I'm sure. And I never watched it. But I, it was just like a fucking AV Club articles being like, oh, this scene of a man sweeping uninterrupted for three hours was the best thing. Have these people not seen the final part of Tipping Point? Have yeah. these people not seen the climb to Mount Mandoriara on Ninja Warrior UK? Have they not seen television? Are they not gripped? A man sweeping. I love, Sam, that you've come fully equipped (laughs) to this highbrow debate that we know less than an average listenership will listen to, to take down the cult of David Lynch, armed with your weaponry of falling down TV, a (laughs) moniker you've given it to several times in private. (laughs) The the mo- like the most insulting flex ever falling down. <laughs> Look, I'm aware that I'm wrong. That's what I need to make abundantly clear. I d- I'm just not. I'm not in it. I'm not in that world. Like, can I stand? Because I just want you to right now, right? Yeah. It's, it's important for the Lynchheads at home, right? Okay. You want to make this crystal clear. Mm. On the day, like, when those articles going up on the AV Club, talking about the sweeping up, right? And talking about the atomic bombs yeah. and all the stuff they were talking about. Sorry. There's some sweeping up in this scene. I tell you, David Lynch is going to be cleaning up at the award ceremonies because Aye. that was the best thing I've ever seen on television was a man sweeping. And he can take that to the cleaners. Now, now what I was going to ask you, Sam, is that if you could at least put your prejudice aside for a second, yeah? Put down your your Takeshi's Castle pump-action shotgun there, okay? Never. Put that business end elsewhere, is all I'll say. And can you just admit to me, right to my face, yeah. yeah? Say it to my face. Admit that he won the internet for that day, good sir. He won the internet for that day, good sir. Thank you. I just think it was all important that we heard that. Michael Sarah was there in a leather jacket, and that was exciting for everyone. And look, it's, it's fine. It's okay. And look, I like surreal things. I like weirdness. I like a quirky character. Uh, The woman with the log? I'm all for it. I'm not against it, okay? I'm not anti-Lynch. I think I just feel a little bit lost and, like, I I just haven't quite got on the same page as everyone else. Yeah, I I understand. I don't want to be cyber-bullied and I feel that's going to happen if I I come out with it. Look, Sam, I know, like, we'd fear nothing more than an intellectual cyber-bullying pile-on. You know, that's that's the worst. They're going to be coming at you with dense text Uh. and that's nothing to look forward to. But, like, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things here that's important about this discussion. One, I'd like it to be on the record, please. Sure. Anytime I I have my needle out and I'm I'm firmly popping at lost, that I on the record now I can give it as good as I can take it. Yeah, that's why it's been proven there now in the last ten minutes. Sure, all right, yeah. that is on record now. So no more of that, okay? And <laughs> and secondly, to circle around, if you will, to in a sweeping motion to sweep uh. back to the uh, original point here. Yeah, the main distinction when forming an intellectual argument about David Lynch vis-a-vis the Bill Murray scenario Mm. and the feelings that creates of like here's a guy who's got kind of like this big gang around him or these like very aggressive defenders and whatnot it Mm -hmm. might make you feel a little bit ostracized and I understand that I understand that and I think it's worth bearing in mind the key difference which is I I like David Lynch a good deal much more all right, and then Bill Murray because like, Bill Murray could take him or leave him now like, yeah. you know, and I like David Lynch a bit and I just think like my feelings and that need to be 
considered. And that's all I just figured, you know, when we're having the discussion. Right. So in the the Bill Murray Lynch scale. Didn't want it to get ugly, Sam. I thought no, I just, fine. you know, I would address that from the get-go, as they say. And what I want to make clear is that I think I should like David Lynch. And also, yeah. I think I look like someone who likes David Lynch. Oh, yeah. No, you have the look about you. I mean, mm. like, if I'd seen you... At a house party going wild back in the day, you know, before I knew about your your limited scope of movies or whatever, I would have been there, can of Tetley's in one hand, finger in the air in the other, coming up to you being like, in football, you should score some goals. Yeah, I, that, I'd be, and we'd make that connection, but you haven't seen it. And I was wondering, from all the bits you've gleaned, yeah. let's just say, from having absorbed some of this from afar, you know, in, in the bushes or whatever, what are you in line for here? Are you going to see a silly movie? Is it going to be a scary movie? Is it just going to be... Uh, is it going to be complete confusion and madcap stuff? What is it? I'm anticipating confusion. I'm anticipating mm-hmm. not playing by the normal playbook of Hollywood, you know? So, some kind of surrealist, dark Some George Lucas shit is what you're saying, right? Some some weird shit going on, okay? I'm not I'm not expecting a normal narrative beginning, middle end structure. I, things okay. are going to go strange, I think. Arresting imagery, okay? Ooh, some okay. curious cinematography, alright? If you loved Arrested Development, You'll love arresting imagery. It's a much more no one cries when they're doing interviews about it. It's great. And if you loved arrested development, you'll love when Michael Sarah pops up in Twin Peaks the Revival, <laughs> as did everyone on the AV Club comment section. Look, this is not anti AV Club or David Lynch. Yeah, I, I, I'm expecting it to be weird and I'm expecting it to be confused. And I, I imagine there's some further analysis I might need to do. Dreamlike, yeah? How do you think you're going to get on with, like, if, if I said to you, I'm going to present you now with a narrative that may be, as you said, a little bit obtuse or, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit outside the norm. How confident are you, Sam Chaplin, who I know is an ace at video games like Skate 3 and Tony Hawk's Rides? I just assume it's a transferable skill. Yeah. That, you know, you can do it with a thumb, you can do it with a, with a feet. Like, you know, that's why I figured. Given that level of skill and deduction... <laughs> How would you reckon you're going to do with this? Are you like, I'm going to, I go, what's going on, mate? I'm just going to have a top laugh. Are you like, no, actually, I reckon I'll have a pretty decent stab at this. I've watched every season of Lost. So I think if, the, if, <laughs> if there's someone who can do some deduction of visual text, right, it's this guy, okay? If there's someone who can piece oh together goodness. strange imagery and clues yeah. and bits and bobs, it's me. I've done the homework. I'm willing to put in the work here. I'm going to watch this, and then I'm going to think, all right? I'm going to yeah. have a fucking think about this film. Because I did mention earlier the elephant in the room, right? And we had kind of discussed here now the knowledge and of, of elephants and whatnot. The yeah. elephant in the room in question was, I was very unsure as to actually go about reviewing this. Because here's oh, where it's I'm one, at. It's one of those. It's one of these ones now, isn't mm. it? Again, fucking bad news, all right? This is in the playlist, fucking bad news, all right, is what, what it is. But where I'm at is, <laughs> I've seen this movie a few times. Yeah. I love Blue Velvet. I will probably say, of, of all of David Lynch's movies, it's probably highest on the list of, like, if I was to show someone who kind of wanted to see a bit of David Lynch, and this kind of is the closest, I think, to a... a, a, a Sam's Hello. hand went up there present and accounted for mm-hmm. thank you very much and i figured this is i think the best introductory movie because there is a bit of a narrative there it can be i think followed okay. but i've got loads of nerd mates right and particularly a lot back home in ireland yeah who fucking eat 
this morning, noon and night and they've sure. been on the forums and they've been on the reddits and they do the deep dives and they're looking at the AV Club comments and rolling their eyes because they've been doing it for years. Sure, sure. Years they've been doing it. So I have had secondhand told me some expertise analysis by this and I'm between the rock and the hard place of do I go into this kind of going, ah, fuck it, I'll try and remember as best I can, or if I try and actually present you the actual narrative so you know exactly how to do it. But you know what? Seeing as you are, you know, uh, the man, the lost man himself, mm-hmm. and this is your lost world, I'm just going to say, you know what, Sam? You can figure it out for yourself. Okay. Huh? Yeah, no, no, we're, we're, right, we'll watch the film, okay, we'll watch in, the film, in, a, in, but in a few moments, we'll watch yep. the film, okay, we'll think about it, we'll make our little notes that we do, and what I'll do after we've done talking about it afterwards is I'll reverse the audio of that, and everyone at home will go, <laughs> oh, ve- very good, very good, and then that, we can just call it a day there. Look, let's go see what's happening here, I've literally put handcuffs on myself, you know, this is the fucking crucible here now, is what's happening, but like, I reckon, Sam, that if we go into this, the full knowledge that I will take us through scene by scene what's just generally happening as usual but you're there to kind of fill in the dots because i don't know if you've heard about this dl character but i've heard on the dl the down low about dl david lynch that the guy likes to put in a few little tricksy bits of filmmaking and story devices along the way he's not gonna get much past me mate so I mean, if you can handle the origin of Jack's tattoos, what the fucking blue velvet throw at him? Possibly. Exactly. I ain't scared of no lynch. This is going to be absolutely fine. I'm, if anything, I'm excited. I'm curious. I've not seen any of his films, so I want to see one. Well, I've got a fun question for you. Speaking of spooky things, what nearby, if we turned it out upside down, inside out, and pulled into a mound, would look kind of like a ghost? It's the mailbag. <laughs> Welcome to the mailbag. Now, I anticipated in advance that we'd probably spend a bit of time talking about David Lynch. So you were very, very right to do so. I've kept this relatively brief, but we've got some good questions here. A first question comes in from James, who simply writes, What's your favourite insult from a film? Oh. I've got an answer for you, and I can try and deliver it. All right, all right, let's hear what you got. I'm interested. You know, you, you've absorbed these for the first time uh, in, in most cases, so, you know. Kevin, just tell me that the leads are weak. The leads are weak. The leads are weak. Fucking leads are weak. You're weak. And that, of course, is from the Guitar Hero movie, which was uh, released for limited uh, <laughs> limited backers on... Um, uh, was it Patreon? I can't, I can't... Yeah, no, it's a good yeah. one. That's a very good one, yeah. It won't plug into my Stratocaster. It's too weak. <laughs> so you... Oh, you've seen I've Glenn seen Gary Ross. Glenn Ross, yeah. That's... Oh, man. I think we've been asked before, like, favourite movie, and the more I think about it, as I'm a mature, like a cheese, I really think that's my favourite movie of all time, possibly. It's one of those ones that you wouldn't think I would have seen, but I have seen it. There's a, occasionally an outlier in there that proves the rule that I have yes, seen any films. Yeah, exactly. and that's one of them. Finding out stuff like that proves that this was not a, a bad concept. Because if we watched, it, like, if we did it with Michael alone, we just would have found out, like, oh, you hate all movies. Yeah, we, you know, that we wouldn't have arrived at this conclusion. It would be way worse off. Another one, listeners. Taxi Driver. I've seen it. I like it. There you go. And see, that's why I'm happy that I've got Sam. You might think that weakens the podcast. No, it just strengthens the concept. Makes us feel good. Look, I'll say it here. Right, out of context, it'll make as much sense. Michael Owen wouldn't appreciate a casserole of dicks. I said it. 
No, he wouldn't. He'd turn it down and he'd be like, I'll have steak and chips, please. I think Choir Boy is one that Arnold Schwarzenegger used. And I don't like it in the sense that like, oh, that's a top insult. But in his like, voice. You, you should use it. But when he says it, it's like the immediate, it never has the impact it's meant to have. Because every time he says it, someone's like, you can see her mouth and says, Choir, Choir. And I, I feel like that he, he used that a lot in his real life as a bodybuilder. And he tried to use it in the movies as well. And always came off as fucking hackneyed and always like you know like Arnie was there with the stogie in his mouth going can't we say choir boy in this scene a few more times come on guys it's good you know (laughs) so I mean I'm a big fan of that one that's a good one it doesn't it's not necessarily an insulting term but as a collective an insult that's very good to put someone in their place Mm. life does not start and stop at your fucking convenience really is great for that's the equivalent of an ombudsman for any argument really like if you say that it's like right we're over we're we're backing off here now okay there needs to be a film where someone says i shall be taking this issue to the ombudsman and that's right boom destroyed wrecked um, bum from rocky as well yeah. I've, I've loved that bum and also fucking, skid fucking row bum. by extension you know like as in a bad place like when i sometimes i'm around the house has this ever happened to you sam where you've got a place around the house where you put a few things where you're going to maybe take it to the charity shop or sell on ebay or a few little bits and bobs has that become skid row <laughs> well, well literally what happened to us that we we thought oh we've been very good we've gotten lots of stuff cleared out and ready to go but bloody shop's been closed down with the pandemic yeah, yeah. for so long so i'd walk around and go oh you turn the boom Skid Row, you know, take all the things you want to get rid of, and put my bag in Skid Row, Polly, you know. And that's Skid Row is a very good motivating thing because no one ever wants to stay in Skid Row, you no. know. You don't want to be a bum living on Skid Row, absolutely. Not. You want to get that toilet clean, you start calling it Skid Row around the house, people are going to be shining up that porcelain real nice. <laughs> You'll be eating your fucking dinner offers and your lunch too. So, thank you very much for that question, James. Nick writes in and says, Hey, Sam and Kevin, doing a superb job as always, lads. Oh, Nick, thank you. T- Come on, mate. But he-, he has a question about the the works of Luc Besson uh, and about Leon the Professional. Oh, Leon! That's a fine old question, and I think that's something we can come to later on. Oh, it's always worth saying, even if we don't always read them all out, because mm. they would probably make for what could be quite frankly described as admin swirl, for lack of a better term. But we always appreciate when people send us ideas for even bad fucking news style episodes because it's it's always good to get different ideas so we're always happy to find yeah. out always appreciative of suggestions david lynch swirl was a suggestion recently with An- yeah, anime swirl that that was a yeah. suggestion as well at one point so all sorts but nick has a bonus question that i was really drawn to which was also as big fans of the footy which character from recent swirls would make a good football manager good football manager Okay, now, Mm. I kind of feel like it needs to be whoever would look good in a big coat because that's the most important thing that I can think of. Like, I know that that's a powerful symbol. Like, there was a year when my brother was meant to get some sort of, I think he was meant to get Sabutio or something like that, and that was, like, his big thing he'd pinned his hopes on. And for some reason, he ended up, like, Granny, like, you know, Granny will get you a random thing for Christmas, and she just happened to get him Sabutio, and it's like, uh uh-oh, like, right before Christmas, he's gotten the gift. So they're like, we'll get you a... Manchester United surprise and they just got him the big coat that like Alex Ferguson oh, would wear nice. yeah, and yeah. on Christmas day he was his little boy in this big coat and the general consensus was there you are now and it was <laughs> it, it just felt like it was a powerful statement that anyone of any age or size so let's keep the coat in mind Sam let's keep yeah. the coat in mind okay so with with that in mind Yoda all right a calm Ooh. tactician okay that's what you need sometimes on on the pitch I think that would work Considered. really really well 
Yeah, yeah, yeah I like yeah, that. Yeah. He did say recent episodes. Oh, okay, okay. So maybe let's kind of think of, of something that is slightly on the more recent side and maybe the most recent 10 episodes or less. Uh, oh, how recent was this? Okay, Stanley Ipkiss. All right. Okay. He'd suit a big coat. He would, wouldn't he? Okay. And at halftime, or even, you know, when he's making some substitutions, he can turn himself into a football diagram of the pitch. Of course. Or a ball. He can be like, oh, loop it into the net like this. And he would turn into it if he put the mask on. And do you know what he would do as well? Because so many of the the great football and greats, there's there's lots of drugs, isn't there? And there's a lot of partying and all that. Yeah. And you might think, where they'd be reaching for that white line of you know what and then they look over and they see hang on the manager's having a whale of a time drug free and they might all think you know what maybe i want the mask and the hunger and the desire for the mask drives the team to the top of the premier league exactly you need, that? you need that kind of locker room leader you know someone who's gonna steer the team in the right direction of just being high on life <laughs> I'm going to go for the other end because we went there with obviously very high energy manager and I think obviously you know you've got your high energy manager you'd think you know uh, Alex Ferguson very high energy throwing shoes at people and all that as he did yeah as he did and that I won the respect of many classmates in school when I made reference to that because like he gets it he he actually he gets it man he gets it and I get it guys I understood that Alex Ferguson threw a shoe high energy I'm going to go for more of a Jose Marino lower energy style attack you can maybe get into the mind yeah, a little yeah. bit disarm them Sam I present to you Robert Duval as Sergeant Prendergast from uh, our yes, recent yes, Falling yes. Down episodes there we go cool Come as on. a fucking cucumber he can lead a, t- a squad where would the ball be in the palm of his hand mate <laughs> yeah and they'd be eaten out of it eating goals that is so there you go. Thank you very much, Nick, for that question. Now let's close up the mailbag for a second here. Shunk, uh, get out of here, you spooky ghost. Now, Kevin, I, I like surreal, weird stuff. and I, There's something I wanted to bring up to you. Uh, mm-hmm. I know on a fairly recent episode, we mentioned Angel Delight. Yes. And I think you might have mentioned, like, Garlic Angel Delight or something really along those lines. I'm sorry I did that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I got some angel, some Butterscotch Angel Delight to have because oh. it was mentioned in the podcast. Ah, oh, yeah, the Angel Delight. Yeah. And what I did, right, was I I made that with some oat milk. Oh, very nice. And then after doing it, I just thought, oh, let's just look up whether oat milk actually works with Angel Delight. Uh, after I'd done it and put it in the fridge to set, it doesn't work with oat milk. It needs the milk protein from actual cow milk or, you know, animal milk to set. So what I ended up with was a kind of oaty butterscotch soup. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and then, right, what I did was I put some dark chocolate Crave cereal into that soup and ate that. Oh, sorry, when you said Crave, I thought you accidentally put some of that weird pet food not on the, Not there. the pet food, Okay, no. Like the little kind of like crunchy pillows with the dark chocolate centre into a butterscotch oat milk soup. Were you unleashing your animal energy just coincidentally, I was just wondering? Do that every fucking day, mate. Oh, figures, figures. As soon as I wake up, you know. Unleash, ah. you mean. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I, I just wanted to say that that kind of lends itself to the idea that I, I don't play by the rules either. I'm kind of a David right. Lynch figure. Okay, I thought, hmm, wait a minute. Oh, something's gone wrong. Uh, let's make that a feature. You know, let oh, let's try and oh, do something different here. Oh, is that just now? Here. It's gone wrong. And look, if you were to look at it, the the kind of soupy butterscotch oat stuff and the crave, it looked disgusting, but it tasted delicious. I felt like a little boy. Sam, all right, we're about to watch many things. Oh, so, sorry, Kevin. What what what's that out of the window? Oh, it's the rule book over there. <laughs> it's, it's all the way out in. in 
it's, it's gone out the window. Sam, if you genuinely think this is going to be a comedy of errors of some sort, you're gravely mistaken. It's not going to be that. It's not that. It's many things. It is not that. This is going to be one of the most intentional things you see on this podcast ever, for better or for worse. No, I, I'm saying that my approach to food and cereal is the same as David Lynch's approach to filmmaking, you know? Forget what people have told you. Forget the, the common thing that you see every day. This is something different. This is something unusual. And you think, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, that's oh, that's oat milk and butterscotch. And, and it's lovely. And it's got crave in it. And it's crunchy and you eat it. So I'm, I'm really excited for how nice this film is going to taste. Well, milk proteins notwithstanding, let's go do a cinema swirl. We're back. Initial good reaction. Sam, Sam, Sam. What did you think of Blue Velvet? Come on now. <laughs> okay, let me try and do my initial gut reaction noise. I am absolutely bated breath. I'm so interested to hear this. I, I please, please right. tell me. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that was the whole thing. Though. There was I've never seen as much just for the, the listeners at mm. home or wherever you may lay your hat at the moment. Hand gestures. There was a lot of that there. That's the first time I've seen that on the initial gut reaction. Yep. Or the IGR as I like to call it here uh, in HQ. The cough was part of it. Look, it's uh it, it was a it was a, <laughs> it was a lot to take in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm this is not it's not necessarily a repulsed disgusted uh, pile of shit reaction. It's just a oh oh uh uh mm, kind of, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind main thing about watching most David Lynch movies. Yeah. I've not seen Dune, so I can't say this for all of his works. But the intent very often is to make you feel uncomfortable or to make you feel bad. And often when you watch a movie that is bad and it makes you feel bad, it's very easy and understandable. And in many, you know, quite right, should I say, that if you're, this movie made me feel bad, therefore it is bad. And that's a reaction I've always seen a lot of. Mm. And I also know the reaction of me and most people when they find out they're about to watch a David Lynch movie with someone is to not go oh that's the movie that made me feel bad while watching it the first time it's to go oh that's the movie that made me feel bad but then like I started thinking about it and then my friends talked and then I then I sang Blue Velvet in the shower and you know we all went out one night we went Paps Blue Ribbon we all had to laugh and then stopped <laughs> and then stopped but yeah. and then, then you thought about watching it again so sorry by the way for completely not preparing you at all for this that's okay that's fine I, it was useful for me to go in not really knowing much about this I mean I think we didn't really do as much in our pre-swirl of hey what do you know about the movie what what's the I didn't really know anything about this one I didn't figure it was a much to do yeah, other than asking yeah. about Lynch himself right. because you know I think it is probably one of his more mainstream kind of uh, appealing movies I'd say Mulholland Drive people are saying is probably 
probably the most kind of successful in that sense. But I would say, in terms of me, the big challenge of can you figure it out, huh? There is a narrative here, which is maybe something that I maybe misled you a bit on. I mean, were you able to follow it? I'm assuming yeah, in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. what I mean, actually happened and who did the things and all that. There is a pretty clear start to finish story. It wasn't completely bizarro world, you know, completely disconnected vignettes and bits and bobs that I'm not have to piece together. There was some of that and there was some the arresting imagery I mentioned before. They locked you up there, did they, with the old <laughs> arresting imagery, huh? Throw away the key. David Lynch is judge, jury and executioner of the arresting imagery, that but is. But it wasn't like a bizarre dream sequence mess where I had no idea what was going on, but if you look far enough into the symbolism, you might be able to piece together something. It, it, there was a story. You could take it on a very simple face value and go, okay, here's the start, here's what happened, and here's but the But you end. could recap the movie on Wikipedia. Yeah. Like, you know, you couldn't, you would, with Inland Empire, which is a David Lynch movie where after I'd seen all the Twin Peaks and, you know, I, I'd seen Blue Velvet and Lost Highway, I'm like, I've got my David Lynch fucking fan club badge now, and I found out that they're going to be playing Inland Empire in my local cinema, in the I Cinema. I, I, I indeed, down in Galway. And I went in for three and a half hours, and I came out literally sick. I felt so unwell. And that is basically like being handcuffed, thrown into someone else's nightmares and never escaping the void until right. three and a half hours later. I think that was my big fear going into this, that it would be like that. And it wasn't quite like that at all, really. It, the, what, was it hard going, though? Because I was surprised. Like, <laughs> I hadn't seen this in a year or two. You know, me and Joe watched it a while ago, and I was like, fucking hell. Maybe it's because I watched it an odd time of day compared to other times. You know, I wasn't necessarily in late night movie mode. I don't know. There's bits that are challenging, Kevin, I would say, <laughs> um, to put it mildly. Look, I wanted to come back from the break and be like, going to Wembley, goals, goals, goals. <laughs> but it didn't feel right. Or, or we could have also went with a candy coloured clown collar, Alex Ferguson. <laughs> Go to Old Trafford, my friend. I close my eyes. So, the one thing I want to bring up before we get into recapping the movie, figuring out what I thought of it, what we both thought of it, was that Mark Commode, friend of the show, yep. brackets enemy of the show, long-time enemy, according to Wikipedia, he walked out of this film upon his first viewing and gave it a poor review. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. But then later came back to it and revised his view of the film. Basically, what he said was he walked out on it, not because it was a bad film, but he walked out because it was a really good film, but he wasn't good enough for it. Oh, he wasn't oh. ready for Lynch. Oh, okay, Mark Commode. I'm starting to think that me and Mark Commode might be birds of a feather not too far from each other, you know? Because I was saying before, oh, I, the, I don't quite get it with Lynch. I'm kind of put off, but I know it's a me problem. And me and Mark Commode... Uh, you know, if we could do a podcast, imagine uh, what that would sorry, be like. what is this? Birds of a feather or peas in a pod? Huh? More like. Sorry, you're not, you are not uh, crossing that barrier. No, there are no, definite no. lines that you can't cross in Cinema Swirl. And starting a podcast with our lone sworn enemy, you yep. didn't even, you didn't, you just fucking, you straight up came at me there with that, didn't you? You didn't fucking temper it with saying, oh, maybe we'll have Simon Mayo on as a guest once. It's straight up flaunting a potential partnership with Kermode. What's Mayo going to say about this? Nothing. He'll just go, oh yeah, Mark, good point. He'd fold his arms, <laughs> lean back in his chair and think, oh, they're watching this live on the BBC, aren't they? You fucking chill. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, for, for clarity, I'm still very much anti-Mark Commode. I Good. just I, That maybe warmed me up to him a bit, thinking, oh, okay, he kind of was put off and then kind of came back to it and was confused and, you know, has re-evaluated his position. I mean, the first viewing of any David Lynch movie is always, I think, going to have, like, a, a strong reaction one way or the other. Yeah. Like, for me, what always got me, like, what originally got me into Twin Peaks was that my brother told me the story when he was, like, 17 or 18. He was just at, like, some house party and someone stuck on Firewalk with me, the movie, which takes place, it's like a prequel to it. And if you haven't seen the series, it makes fucking no sense. If you have seen the series, it makes somewhat less sense at times but like he just saw it and he said he was completely bamboozled but transfixed so it was like this kind of carrot at the end it's like look there's this thing which will maybe make sense if you go and watch it and you kind of that for me was always like wow there's this great pursuit of knowing in it but my first time watching Blue Velvet I remember just being overwhelmed I thought it was almost I don't want to say to the level of comedy but like Mm. I wasn't like Jesus lads I remember watching this and being like is this ever going to let its fucking foot off the gas here like you know I was just like I was like looking around exasperated a little bit was my first view of this it's full-on it's a full-on film and it it, yeah it it has got under my skin in the time since i watched it this was a movie that needed a little bit of time to be you know left to rest like so the juices could seep in we didn't want it all to run out on the podcast when we first came in here do you want to carve open sam's opinion just like that and it's just juice everywhere there's just juice going come on now we want to retain that moisture i'll tell you what i do like and this is not to say that i don't like the film but what I do like is just the the look of actual blue velvet and imagining the nice texture of it. So we get that. That's our opening kind of background to the credits, isn't it? Just actual some nice blue velvet. It does look nice and it does look like it feels nice. Obviously, long-time listeners will know big fans of textures here on mm-hmm. the podcast. You know, textures, big, big... textiles, yeah, materials. Yeah, text, textured textiles. Some you new know. material, you know. Absolutely. Love all that stuff, yeah. All that stuff is great. Because I know for some people, they find the crushed velvet particularly a little bit abrasive. It makes the hair on the neck stand up a little bit. Where are you on the velvet? Velvet scenario. No, I'm happy with velvet. I like a bit of velvet, and it feels nice on the hands. I'll tell you what, I'm an admirer of velvet, mm. but I'm pretty glad I don't have velvet drapes or curtains myself because I don't want to maintain it. No, no. You know, no it seems no. like that would be a whole thing. <laughs> it's a good material to visit. You wouldn't want to live there. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. simply too much drape for the likes of us, is what it is, Sam. But as, as, as a rare treat, you can have as a, a bit rare of velvet treat, to feel. Exactly. Yeah. I decided, like, because I couldn't quite figure out, as you can note, I tell from the priest's world but during most of the viewing of this movie what exact tone or angle or how I was going to recap this yeah. well, I decided I let myself be immature at the little bit when I was still a bit giddy about watching the movie and I said there was a man here called Dickerson huh? that's a funny name isn't yeah. it now oh that come on stop name. we're kind of introduced to this beautiful happy immediately fake looking and like idealised neighbourhood here we've got you know, white picket fences and all that white picket fences red roses a man on a fire engine and waving directly into camera to freak you the fuck out from the start. You're like, ah, I don't like this. I don't like anyone staring right at me. You know what? I think your natural distrust of, like, overtly nice people and such like that, I think, like, the social anxiety actually really mm. arms you. Because I remember coming in, watch this movie, and kind of thinking, like, okay, everyone's happy. This is a nice place. And that's, like, obviously not the fucking, not what you're meant to take away 
from this. Yeah. And Kevin, there's a man in his garden and he's watering the lawn and he's got his hose caught on a bush. And I thought, well, this is a jaunty comedy of errors. We are going to have a foot. Oh, no, he's having a, a stroke here and he's he's fallen onto the floor. And, that's and not- Sam was like right at the moment <sighs> about to crack the case. He's like, the water pressure is like the symbolic pressure that the others are putting on the camp in season one, not even realizing that there's a faucet of power and pressure behind all of that. Precisely correct. But hey, we, we do get some, early on, some stuff that feels like it has some symbolic thematic meaning. So this old man, who's Jeffrey's dad, uh, Jeffrey's our main character introduced later, he falls onto the floor, he's, he, you know, he's had a, I think he's had a stroke, and we, we pan down into the grass, so this nice green grass, oh, we're going underneath, oh, there's just bugs under there, oh, there's just yucky bugs, and they're and really they're loud. And <laughs> And you just hear the really loud, and you go, oh. Don't you fucking hate us when you go to the cinema and he takes out his big lump of soil with all of them would you put them insects away jesus christ you're gonna have indoor fireworks next are you <laughs> that is a very good david lynchian image of someone having a, a popcorn bucket full of bugs in the cinema and just eating it just munching on them nonchalantly and it is symbolic isn't it as well folks because you think about it you think on the surface there what lies beneath you go underneath there and you see ants no big deal isn't it? but you think ants hang on oh woody allen that's a bit much now isn't it and that's that's it there's layers here that he knew yeah, he yeah. knew big dl was not he wasn't he was on the download again it's a pretty straightforward on the surface everything's happy-go-lucky beneath there is something yucky going on right that's there's not much more to it than that right david lynch is telling you in life to anticipate a crunchy center is what he's saying which he may think is filling you with a sense of ennui and dread but for me that's just like mate i'm a kind of a i anticipate life to be a bit crunchy you know that's to make me seem like an optimist of anything david david crunch i call him (laughs) (laughs) we're in the town of lumberton and i really enjoyed the the wood themed radio broadcast yeah get shopping yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's all right we got carl mclaughlin is this your first exposure to uh mr mclaughlin have you ever seen him in like portlandia i don't know if that's a show you watched so you're you're a comedy man i saw quite a bit of twin peaks so that was my first mclaughlin exposure i think he was in desperate housewives he was he was he was in that saucy show back when we didn't even know what prestige tv was we thought if we went on longer than 30 minutes we had to take our hats off and salute it this must be the golden age of television what are you talking about i'm talking prison break i'm talking (laughs) heroes i'm talking desperate housewives yes season six when it got fucking good yeah prestige baby i don't know that much about mclaughlin he's great on instagram he always cheers me up on instagram visually he's both extremely kind of normal looking and also there's, there's something else there you know there's something about he's i feel he's one of the few celebs who even as he's aged and mm. I, he's always been a dashing handsome fellow and to see him like so young and bright-eyed like it's weird to see someone who you would know later to be someone in their 30s and 40s who had the y- look of a youngster about them as an actual youngster that is like oh, quite shocking to see how yeah. fucking new and shiny kind of got fresh out of the package is here like i feel like if you went on tony hawk's pro skater create a skater and you just left everything blank and you just went okay you'd kind of get someone who looks a bit like Karl McLaughlin. Not not dress-wise, but just... (laughs) 
appearance. Just like a, a dude. You a, know, bod, in, a bod bill for sick shredding is pretty much what he's doing. Like, you know, pop shove that in, in down your throat. You know, see what I'm saying? So, like, with him, I liken him to a lot of, like, wrestlers who never became massive, super-duper big megastars, but were kind of, like, known to play a bit of a character. And he's, like, known as being in, you know, in Twin Peaks and a lot of David Lynch works and also being in Desperate Housewives. And he leans into that. He'd be like, I do like a cup of coffee, actually. I, I do like a cup of... I, look <laughs> hey, what I've got hey. here. A slice of pie. And it's it's Tim that he leads into it in a, such an affable way. And I feel like, that's all right. You've aged gracefully. You've, you have completely done that right. He's a good, central, relatable protagonist type figure, right? Yeah. This, yeah. Lawful good, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he, he's, he's exploring the world. He's visiting his dad in the hospital, the man who fell over in the garden. His dad can't talk, he's doing a big sob. It's just that scene seems to be there just to make you feel like, ah, oh, ah. I mean, that's lots of films do that. (laughs) I know, but he he does like have this thing where he will show you the kind of mundanity a little bit, where he's he's just a little bit extra, you know? And it's pursuing that, chasing that dragon is what gives you 18 minutes of sweeping up. Yeah, Yeah, I, I actually found it quite streamlined in some ways that he's like, hey, there's this whole thing with his dad's in hospital and it's difficult for him. But here's just a, a really tight moment of just, we're looking at each other, dad can't talk, lots of crying. Okay, that's enough. Let's show him walking home from the hospital. We've done that bit. I feel like other films would spend a lot of time with the dad stuff. We don't get that much here. No, you don't. It's just, you know, that's a thing in the background kind of that is very worrying and upsetting. Yeah. I like the, the cast of young Kyle here because it's very easy to look back now with, with all the stuff he's been in and be go, he's the all-American blue chip boy or whatever. Mm. But like, if you want to go for that 50s suburbia vibe, he literally looks like something off of a cigarette packet or something. Like, he, seriously. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a much better analogy than my Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're trying to bring in the youth demo, Sam. It's okay. Skate 4 when? Soon, apparently. Well, not that soon, but at, at some point. Skate 5 when, right? Mm, who knows? Skate 5 when? Just got to get that on the podcast. Just got to get that on there. <laughs> yeah. Look, this podcast is serving a dual purpose of being a podcast and also a signal boost. And I think yeah. it's important that we all do our part, okay? Skate five. Skate five. Jeffrey, Carl McLaughlin, finds a severed human ear swarming with ants on the ground on his walk home from the hospital. And as we all know, ants love ears. It's their favourite. Ants love ears. And he just kind of instinctively pops it in a bag. Uh, yeah, very Animal Crossing approach there, just to kind of find a strange thing on the ground with insects, just be like, yoink, that's going right in the pockets there. <laughs> I would have loved if he'd have looked up into the camera and just held up the ear, like, yay, Woo-hoo! I got one! What do I have here? It's an ear! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a good boy, isn't he, Sam? Because I'd be yeah. exactly the same there. This basically is equivalent of being like, I'm telling! There's an ear here! Ah! I think I'd leave the ear and then call the police to tell them that there was an ear. Oh, you'd tell on the ear. See, that's the problem. I'd be known there's a bigger culprit at risk. Like you're That's right. a rookie tattletale mistake. You're not a, a pro. I don't want to remove the evidence from the scene. You know, I'd say, police, there's an ear here. Here, here. <laughs> Come here, there's an ear. Are we clear? There's an ear. There is an ear. Here. There's an ear here. Just to be clear. So, my favourite line of dialogue is when they bring it back to the coroner and he just goes, that's a human ear, all right. Yeah, look, so the dialogue in this whole film, I think we need to express that this is deliberately kind of not stilted and 
It, it's, it just feels strange. You will pick actors that are kind of a bit awkward. Like, the closest thing I think is like Tim and Eric when they would do Awesome Show and such. They would always go for, through the casting books to find people who are just like, they have a strikingly odd look. Let's put them in yeah. there. Or like, you know, they don't have the typical it factor, but for this purposes of being unsettling, it's perfect. So the dialogue choices and the way those lines are delivered is not bad, but it's... It's bad adjacent. It's kind of in that same ballpark of not seeming realistic, which is what I think what you're trained to kind of look for in films is that kind of naturalism of dialogue. Yeah. This should be what real people talk like. But that whole kind of, yes, that is a human ear, all right? Let's go and look at this thing now. And it feels wrong. It feels like, I don't know, a lot of this you, is just... You shouldn't ever have the internal monologue of, Jesus, come on, when people are talking in important plot points. And yeah. it does happen. Sorry, by the way, if it comes across like you're making fun of him a lot, it is because I find there's good sport in making fun of your idols. So please don't okay. gum at me at Twitter with your rebuttals, please. Thank you. No rebuttals. No rebuttals allowed on this episode. We find out that the ear was scissored, which mm-hmm. is somehow... like I was like okay with it being an ear. When I found out a scissor removed it, I was like, that's bang out of order. That's... No. Come on now. Kevin, there's so many layers to David Lynch's filmmaking because we find out that the the coroner says, oh, it looks like it was cut off with scissors. And then we cut... So in the editing room, he will have actually cut with scissors the, the film. And we cut then to the police cutting the do not cross line. So we get three cuts there. We get the actual editing cut. We get the cut with the scissors. And we get the shot of scissors cutting something. Oh, no, and you also missed in the director's extended edition. Mm. At the end of that, then it zooms out and you see like the whole like soundstage. And David Lynch has got like an old-timey director's hat on with one of those big megaphones. And he turns around over the shoulder and winks and goes, cut. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> and then he shrugs. He shrugs then. I love how involved Jeffrey gets to be. Like, straight away, it's kind of like, well, thanks yeah. for bringing us in here, boy. Here's the fucking case. You know, That's it, not it, how it works. It reminds me of a South Park episode where they're little, like, cops and then they get drafted into take down meth labs. He's, like, he's roped into this. Is this the future of further cuts to the police service? Is that it, Sam? No. We'll just get blokes in who are happy to put ears in bags. We'll get them involved as well, because they're eager, <laughs> young, eager folks. My opponent wants to defund the police, whereas my platform is simply to defund the police and replace it with eager young boys. Yeah. What is wrong with my proposal, sir? You're copying my platform. Hashtag big society, all right? That's <laughs> what we want here. It's what it is. We're all chipping in every part of society, from Captain Tom Sir Roger Moore himself, all the way down. Mate, I don't care if you're a knight of the realm and you make the tea. Yeah, we're all going to pitch in. Look, Symbolism Watch, we get a very scary zoom in on the severed ear and the audio gets all yucky and loud and echoey because it's an ear. And it's like, as we go closer to it, it's like we're hearing through the ear and then we go into the ear. We're in the inner ear. I'm really, really glad for this episode that beforehand we discussed that you would take Symbolism Watch and I would just take Symbol Watch because I found I had quite a light load today and I appreciated that. Like, thank you. Well, just wait until you get to the bit with the jazz band because there's quite a lot of symbols on that drum kit. So. Uh Uh, Damn, that Big Bamba number comes up after the credits as well. Yeah, Jeffrey, he's gone to the actual detective's house. He's getting allowed to go round to the police detective house and be like, oh, yeah, any more about the ear? The detective in this viewing really creeped me out because it's one thing when it's in, you know, the Famous Five or whatever, yeah, Mm. and there's trouble down some village or hamlet. 
But here the guy's like, don't tell anyone. Also, come to my house and have a look at the case file quick. Like, we, we, we might have a lead or whatever. I don't know. He, This guy, he's a little bit much. Everyone's a bit much of this movie. Yeah. No one at any point in the film has said, keep your ear to the ground. And that's a real disappointment. I've just yeah. realised that. That would have been great for the detective to say. You know? I'm, I'm all ears. You know, that one. Or, you know, the ground has ears. Or has an ear. Yeah. So the relationship between Detective and Jeffrey is kind of strange. It's a bit overly familiar. He says he's, like, he's his father later on because later on he's like, fatherly advice, tap, tap, you know? Yeah. We, we get introduced to a potential main squeeze. It's Sandy, mm-hmm. my favourite actor, Laura Dern. Yes, but Laura Dern here, very young. I think she was like 18 or 19 when this was filmed. Much like Kyle MacLachlan has somehow secretly accessed the Fountain of Youth which is perpetually appearing in David Lynch projects. So mm. we got to rework on that David Lynch podcast, Sam, so we can get that fountain of youth, or at least get a few Absolutely. years back at least. Yeah, Laura Dern now still looks like kind of Laura Dern. She's kind of the timeless, ageless She's being. an alien is my main running theory right now. That's it. An alien lawyer. That's my theory. Again, another Lynch film that we are yet to see. <laughs> um, unless that already exists. Yeah, that needs to happen. Alien yeah. lawyer. Make it. So yeah, these two went to the same school they kind of know each other they're talking about this ear case she's mentioning what she knows because her dad's the detective about a local singer who lives in a nearby apartment building it's something related to her hot leads hot leads jeffrey's talking about how he knew a kid who had the biggest tongue in the world and he does the chicken walk he does he's, the chicken he's walk. very charming and that's what i like a lot about this is that you you know People who look like that fucking stereotypical 50s boy wonder look or whatever. They're there a dime a dozen. But Mm. to have that little actual spark of charm. To actually be charming. Like, I feel like you can watch this movie with your mum and you show all the horrible bits and she'd be like, oh, horrible. No, no. But this bit here with the chicken walk, you could turn and go, no. And she'd, oh, he is nice. He does a very good chicken walk, doesn't he? He is charming. He is. Oh, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Symbolism watch. Symbolism watch. Okay. We talk about how... Now, later on, right, the Robin's coming. We'll get to that later. But he's doing the chicken walk and being nice. And he's a kind of bird, isn't he? A chicken isn't is a it? bird. Yeah. And so he's kind of that role of the nice thing that makes everything light later on. Okay? He's uh, a bird. I made the mistake, though, of thinking that... He's like a bird. He does a little <laughs> walk. I don't know what his deal is. She don't know what his deal is. But he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> I thought I grabbed the wrong end of the stick here the first time as well. I thought that Laura Dern was just like a burglary enthusiast and she was like casing the joint the whole time. She's like, Robin's coming, mate, yeah? You know, <laughs> fucking massive Robin's coming, you know? Gonna rob everything here. <laughs> Pretty much. Burgle, burgle as well. Look, there's different interpretations, so maybe, you know, that's that's valid too. It is. As we know from the rules, as long as it made us think and we interpreted it, it is correct. So the, these two, right, or Jeffrey particularly, is really an eager beaver here to launch into investigating. Mm. And maybe because he's trying to impress his fake detective dad, he wants to get involved in the case and solve things and figure stuff out. He's really into this mystery. He's already wanting to sneak into the apartment of this local singer. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's straight up. Yeah. He, he's going, like, to advance stuff straight away. He's got the the sense in his mind that he could become the next... He could 
he's working towards an Agatha Christie deal, as I'm sure what he's reckoning for. A young, handsome detective like that, you know, you know, solving crimes. Yeah. I mean, he's no Poirot, mind, but he could no. be. He's got overalls to pretend to be a bug spray man. He's got Sandy coming in to knock on the door to pretend to be a witness. This is all like a GTA 5 online heist mission, the amount of moving parts here. Uh, yeah, and also as well, the runtime, two hours of this movie, is roughly equivalent to the load time to actually play <laughs> one of those as well. So it's very much at home here. I think that children and the youth and anyone who's listening who has that, you know, who can signal boost this as well. I'm sorry, there's a lot of calls to action today in the pod with the skate and now this as well. But like peer pressure to sleuth with someone is very real. I don't think that mm. that's talked about enough. Don't feel like because all of your friends are setting up detective agencies and they're like, they're hanging around with weird dogs and stuff like that. Like, what's that? It's a fucking mystery machine. Smoke crack with us, bro. No, don't fucking, don't fucking do that. Yeah, you don't have to sleuth. You don't have to sleuth. You can crime. You could crime. Yeah, you, know? you could be a criminal. How about yeah. that? You could be a super criminal. How about that? Huh? Anything that keeps these kids off the streets, you know? Maybe they could do some crime. And that would be all right. <laughs> now, again, symbolism watch. I realised I was paying too close attention to little details. And I was like, oh, the number on the door is 710. And I, I've been preconditioned by Lost to look into numbers and be like, oh, that could be the numbers from Lost. But the, it's just a number of an apartment. I don't think it means anything. Uh, no, I think what it meant is that 710 split because this whole plan, gutter ball. <laughs> As you said that, and I know you were you were joking, I was like, oh, ma- oh maybe. <laughs> maybe it is that. That's maybe honestly, like I think there's going to, there's, a, <laughs> I think I have a really good idea. I think there's infinite podcast ground in just constantly reinterpreting David Lynch over and over again wrong. And yeah. I think we could just, that's a turnkey mechanism right there. That's just like a well, like you could just keep drawing water from that forever, right? Take a different meaning from it each episode and just try. Easy peasy. Try together your theory yeah if you make the same symbolic analogy twice you get buzzed and you have to go off and you get replaced by a new co-host it's a new game show yeah the snapchat generation and david lynch would love it best of all as well he would love it so hey he gets into the apartment he's actually in there and so the idea was that sandy would knock on the door pretend to be a jehovah's witness and so he's there spraying the apartment and there's a knock at the door but it's not sandy it's a man in a yellow jacket. A man mm. in a yellow jacket. In yeah, a yellow jacket. We, 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 are, we are immediately known that something's going wrong. This is like a moment where like, there's several moments like this that happen constantly, but there's a noble kind of like vibe shift where it goes from let's do a thing to don't do things ever. Doing things is a stupid fucking idea. Bad mm. things happen. Men in yellow blazers show up. Well, his plan was to jimmy a window, but he didn't have time to jimmy the window because he was too distracted by the man in the yellow jacket. Now, the yellow jacket, it does kind of put me off and you think oh this guy's a bit of a character he's weird something's going on but what i'm i think might have happened because i've been doing this recently is if you look on any online clothing store and you go into the sale and you sort price low to high you tend to get the colorways and the variations that have not sold well at a reduced rate that's true i think maybe on asos or something he saw that jacket and thought no i I could pull that off the models look great wearing that color i think i could do it and then he's stuck with that jacket now in in that yellow color so did you manage to get it returned yet then, Sam, or...? It, it, it doesn't matter. Ah, uh, fuck it. it. I, I think it actually adds to the symbolism of me as a person, because he's, he's got a yellow jacket, like a, like a wasp. Hang on. Oh, I was going to say, like, like a yellow like jacket. A, like fuck a yellow set. jacket. I know you don't get to do that. I've got... I literally have a... I, 
Zoology! Come on! I did a thesis about warning coloration. This was my time to shine. Oh, what? Ah, it's a warning. He, ah, it's a warning, Sil. Warning yellow. Oh, what's that? Do you want to hear the insights and thoughts of one of the four celebrated authors of one of the seminal papers that came out in the first quarter of 2011 about malaria mimicry and mutualism? From, no. Is, is that, is that, is that, <laughs> well, you're not going to get it now. I'm going to put it behind a paywall. How about that? Alright, I'm sorry. But hey. I hope that Skate 5 doesn't come out, and I hope that they take all the copies of Skate 3 away as well. They put them in a big box somewhere. There was there was no need for that. <laughs> you know, we're all having fun here, but there was no, there was there was simply no need. Um all I was saying was look, it, yeah, it, like a like a wasp and wasps are bugs, okay, and you had to had to go and say something like that. All right, well, okay, we could go with another one then. How about this? <sighs> yeah, sure. No one likes too much mustard, am I right? <laughs> huh? Yeah, and of course, Jeffrey, he was hoping to have mustered up the courage hey. to jimmy that window, but he was distracted by the mustard jacket, right? This is what David Lynch must have intended. I know. M- and must Mustard have intended. The whole time as well, during the scene, he's hid in the closet, like, it's the whole thrill of it, like, he's there, tiny little peak of light, you can barely see him, like, like he's down there, you know, mining, like, you know, like a Coleman or something like that, you know, it's, it's a really tense scene, and it really kind of, you know, captures the spirit, I think, of what, uh, what DL was going for. But, like, after this is successful, he manages to sneak out, he's like, mm. he's got the rush, you know? Like, it, like if you do a, a good stand-up gig, and you come out, and you're like, go yeah, do more, something. Like, have you ever wanted to do stand-up more in your life than right after doing a good stand-up set? Probably not. No, and that is arguably part of the problem. That exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same problem here. He comes out, he's got a bit of sleuthing. He's not paying attention to the fact that a few of his friends, Bracket Sandy, were in the audience there helping him yeah. out a bit, and that the guy in the yellow jacket really wasn't laughing at any of the lines, but you were just confident. You're going back in too soon. You yeah. need to debrief. I've been Jeffrey. I've snaffled some keys. Good night. And he goes off the stage and he feels like a million bucks. And that's his, his, his downfall. And he there. thinks he's collabing with Sandy, but instead he just sits there and reams off all these ideas. And she's just a yeah. bit overwhelmed and doesn't really feel she can actually say anything in the dynamic. It's not good. Sandy says she goofed this one up. She goofed it up. She didn't goof it up. It was fine. The problem was the yellow jacket man came before she could do her Jehovah's Witness thing. I tell you what, this goof, though, is hanging around a stone cold fox like young Kyle McLaughlin when you already have a boyf. Yeah. Mike, I think. Is his name Mike. Mike? Oh, Mike. You want to hang out with old Mike or do you want to swing around with this cool cast, Jeffrey, sipping Heineken like some sort of adult badass? Look, I love the Heineken stuff. I love, man, I like Heineken. You like Heineken? Heineken. Heineken, Heineken, Heineken. It sets up for something later. And I thought it was like, oh, that's weird. I can guarantee it's not product placement, <laughs> but it feels like it's making fun of that kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah, right. It's just like yeah. banal conversations. The fact that they're comparing Heineken and Budweiser, and as we all know, there are so many fabulously similar beers out there in the world, yeah. you know? And they all taste of certain things. That kind of nice town, oh, I like the beer that I like, and I drive my nice car, and I 
like chopping wood and stuff, how are you doing? That kind of dialogue, and it's, it's, yeah, it's nice. We get to see the blue lady, Dorothy Valance, and immediately Jeffrey is enraptured by the performance. She sings Blue Velvet, the special blue song. She's wearing a blue velvety dress, sort of a yeah. blue velvety zone and all that. And uh, I know this guy is a, is a Heineken man, or so he proclaims, but I thought that he was sipping gin and juice because uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg over here only wants to go off and have a another look around at things how have we not got snooping through the keyhole yet for bbc3 or whatever Uh, come on guys they sneak away out of the nightclub after watching the performance to go and case the joint sneak into the apartment sandy says i don't know if you're a detective or a pervert and jeffrey says that's for me to know and you to find out which sounds charming isn't I'm a detective with the pervert division, ma'am. That's simply what I do, you know? In answer to your question, Sandy, both. So, (laughs) like, for your protagonist, you Mm. very rarely know what's actually kind of going on and all that. I think it's it's funny because it just kind of captures the male wandering eye so easy. Like, he's doing the whole, like, kind of milkshakes and aw shucks, you know, cute nice boy with with Sandy. And then just like, here's this sexy older lady. And he's immediately fucking like, you can tell straight away, he is going to have sex with her one way or the other. It's going to happen. It's the surface stuff, and it's the idealised stuff, and then it's the kind of more seedy underneath things. We've got that contrast in uh, most things. Sandy is the lawn, Mm. and Dorothy is bugs. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Dorothy gets a call, and it's uh, Frank. Frank's on the other line, and uh, it's kind of distressing, just immediately, like, you know, the perils of voyeurism. You could find out that people have horrible lives that you're snooping on, and he, he he's thinking he's going to, like, perv on her or whatever, and she's, like, someone's kidnapped, it seems, and it's fucking really distressing, and she's, like, scared of the person on the phone, and then she's getting a knife, and she's really tense. Yeah, so... <laughs> The whole thing of him getting back into the apartment, sneaking around, having a little look, doing some investigating. He has a big piss because of the Heineken and he can't hear the car honk that Sandy does to warn him. That's funny. I was like, oh, this is this is still kind of fun. This is like a a, there's some japery here. He's having to hide in the closet. You know, she's come back. She's undressing and he's looking and it's pervy. But that yeah, that phone call then it's just Oh, oh no. Were you worried about the person on the phone? I. Uh, Did you know the Hopper Man was showing up in this movie? No. <laughs> I didn't know about the Hop Man. Ah. Uh, of course, grasshoppers are a type of bug, and bugs are bad, and, and Dennis if you Hopper. Remember- Dennis Hopper voiced Hopper the Grasshopper in A Bug's Life, which was in direct competition to. With ants. And there were ants there at the start, we go. and it all ties back. So yeah, it was it was a confusing phone call. It was distressing, and you know Jeffrey's having to be there, kind of still perving, but also being concerned about what's going on. It as the audience, we're in the same kind of boat, really. We're kind of just looking, observing, being like, "What? Oh, what is happening here? This there is something afoot." Yeah, when she gets the knife out and she finds him, then. And we get yeah. probably, like, a one of the most uncomfortable exchanges we've ever seen here. He's, like, he's slowly undressed. She says, what do you want? And he's like, I don't know. And then she says, I'll kill you. Do you like that? And he kind of does. And then the most distressing thing of all is you get to see him that he's just wearing his socks. And it's, like, really fucking Jesus Christ. It's awful. Really awful. Yeah. I mean, so, th- so this bit is, is is kind of a hard watch. So she finds him spying on her, 
and is obviously very upset and annoyed and has a knife pointed at him. Uh, but also it then becomes a kind of flirtatious thing and she's, you know, being sexual towards him at knife point. Yeah. And it's not really sure who wants what or what's going on and it feels very uncomfortable. It's like, oh, well, thankfully this is going to be the most uncomfortable thing I see during oh, no. this scene. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, oh, phew. This is the bad bit now that I've watched. And it was, Look, it was difficult. It was difficult, but we got through it and... Everything is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. That's what I thought. Ding dong, Frank's here. You shit, where's my bourbon? Oh, my, f- oh, mm-hmm. Now, I, n- Super Mario Bros over in Patreon did not prepare us for, for <laughs> Dennis Hopper as Frank, you know? No. No way, man. Look, let's go in with some positives. How refreshing to have a character who is unquestionably just fucking evil and weird. Like, yeah, no darkness and light here. He's just fucking awful. But like right? you, you're being thrown around all over the place because it's like here's someone who's like you see is like a victim of something like really horrible that's happening to them. You mm. kind of think everything you know about this Kyle McLaughlin character, you know, Jeffrey's gonna come out and it'll be all nice and all that. He comes out, and then they have this really like role reversal, she's got this fucking power kind of killing weird thing going on. <sighs> and then you're like, yeah. oh, this is really confusing. I don't know what to think. And then you come in with this guy who's fucking swinging his dick around going, I'll tell you exactly exactly what to fucking think i'm the worst thing in the world yeah and it's like even though it's like it is kind of reassuring but also at the same time really like confusing and obsessing ah. the dynamics here you're right they do go all over the fucking place uh, in a short space of time and that in itself is disconcerting and discombobulating so dennis hopper here i mean this this is a scene of aggressive sexual assault here and it's horrible in terms of symbolism watch we have dennis hopper breathing through a kind of oxygen mask and he looks a bit like a bug uh, with oh, the mask on, he looks bug like. It makes him look super scary. And I don't like, know what's in. The grasshoppers eat the food, and the ants get the food. I don't know what's supposed to be in the mask, but it's. I tell you what, is it's nitrous, mate, because it's rocket fuel. Yeah, he lets out yeah. a big fucking blue jet of horrifying energy. I mean, there's a few few observations here. Okay, yeah. or let me get my pure oil observation out of the way. Over in Ireland, about Frank, we'd say he's great gas. So he is. We wouldn't though, because he's horrible. Second, I can't think of something you begin to say that could be perceived in like a sexy way that could be then followed up with something less sexy than. Mommy, baby wants to fuck. The dad, I, I, the only thing I think of is daddy, and then like, I'm your son, or something like that. You know, <laughs> like you look him right in the goddamn eyes. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> there's some, there's some strange Oedipus Freudian stuff going on here in this scene. It's all very horrible. It's scary. It's gross and sad. She and looks weird. at him at any point. He assaults her, like viciously strikes her. He yeah. is using scissors to cut off parts of her dress. And I can't think of less sexual potential in office stationery than that of the scissors. It is no. not something that should be ever there. And let me tell you as well, this guy definitely, at least in part, inspired Ralph Cipperetto from The Sopranos. Ah, with with yeah. the kind of really weird, like, ah, the gun's not loaded half the time he's using it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, lots of uh, yelling and strange noises from Frank here. Look, if you, if you want to introduce a character as unquestionably a fucking piece of shit, straight away the first time you see him. I mean, here you go. 
you know. Actually, no, Sam, I want to see the thought piece Facebook comment that actually recontextualizes this with Frank as the misunderstood, oppressed uh, protagonist of the movie <laughs> who does what he does because of the actions of the horrible world around him. Let's delete that comment and never look <laughs> at it ever again. Yeah, difficult stuff. Really, it's a key part of the movie and it makes you feel very uncomfortable and obviously that's all deliberate and that's part of it and yeah it's Ah. very weird when you like myself you probably watch a lot of things that have been on the telly that you feel kind of somewhat obligated to watch like Game of Thrones and things like that Mm. and I will say it does always shock the senses when you watch something from like nearly Jesus what it's over 30 30 or more years ago now this movie came out where they're like this is like not sexy this is like bad it's scary it's horrible you know there's no shades of grey here as can often be the case of a lot of, of apparently golden era television. I mean, this was the point of contention in any of the controversy around this film and people walking out such as Mark Commode, other reviewers at the time, would argue about whether this was all okay or, you know, part of an artistic vision from the director or just something that's kind of going out of his way to be controversial or upsetting or difficult or even humiliating yeah. for the people involved. I feel like if my family's life was kind of just slightly retconned a little bit to fit with an ever-changing timeline a la The Simpsons and we could recontextualize my parents' first date as taking place maybe around 10 years later in the 80s I think a funny mm. terrible first date movie instead Jesus of Alien Christ. would be to go see Blue Velvet so like the worst first the date movies. oh the worst put down that cowboy bebop dvd put down the david lynch collection if there's going to be a time to do it it's not now Uh, or any time when you're at the showing each other dvd stage of your relationship no later on later on frank's gone Jeffrey comes out of the closet and tries to comfort Dorothy here. She's calling him Don, which is her husband's name, telling him that she's scared. Again, dynamics are changing a lot here. She's saying like, to- begging him for help and such. It's fucking oh my god, it's horrible. But then asking for him to hit her, and it's all very, very, there's a lot going on here and you could go into this in depth and try and deep dive into this and figure it out. I don't know if that's necessarily our place to No, it's not. Bad things happen and I think other than providing you with several more tones of displeasure to fill your ears with, but I think if we go into any more detail about these parts, we may become into the ASMR genre and I'm not as confident about beating those podcasts as I am about Trump and Kermode. Yeah. Exactly. But next, we get what I think is the most David Lynchy looking sequence in this. This nightmare sequence with some candles Jeffrey. and flame and a stretched out, blurry face of Frank saying Jeffrey. Oh, I watch this with captions as I always do, and just the word yeah. Jeffrey just came up. Like, I ain't doing it justice there now, folks. I mean, come on. And Jeffrey wakes up and is just like, man, oh man. And I'm like, that's such a, you know, nice cigarette packet man description of what happened in that fucking nightmare that he's been through. It falls apart quickly when he's talking to Sandy. It's like, hey, Sandy, can you talk? He's like, oh, not really right now, but uh, what was the last night like? He's like, yeah, it it went okay. Uh, Did it? Did it go okay? Uh, Was that okay? He explains the ears likely belonging to Dorothy's husband and that there's bad men and it's dangerous and they can't tell the police. And we get the first of these kind of many, like, real just... I don't know. This is the moment where you realise he's definitely over his head because he just starts crying and he's like, why are there people like Frank in the world? Why is there so much, like, hate and discomfort in the world? It's like, you are not going to enjoy what happens 
next. <laughs> you are not going to enjoy your experience in this film. And Sandy then gets to do her explanation of the dream about how the world was covered in darkness. And then some robins came and the robins represented love and light. So there is trouble till the robins come. How about that? Eh? Right? She's basically saying, sure, Christmas soon now. Hmm? <laughs> and if you're listening to this at home now, it's, it's getting a little bit tougher and like that's happening. Huh? Nearly Christmas. It'll be Christmas. Yeah. And, I'm not, and you know what? I'm not even going to fucking talk down to you like an idiot and be like, I wish it could be Christmas every day because I don't. But it will be Christmas. One day. Someday. And the trouble will be there, but until the robins come at Christmas. So yeah, God, if you're looking at January, that sucks, man. I'm really, I'm fucking, I'm sorry, dude. That, oh, jeez, guys. That's, that's not good. And we got real nice back and forth here. This is how the courting is done by the book, Your Niece. And right back at him. Oh, give him a bit of that. There you go. Now, I like the word niece. And apparently something that's happened to me in lockdown, I need your help with this, Sam, because you kind of be the arbiter of good taste in this instance. Thank you. But it's been alleged around the house that I've begun to sound like a young boy from the 50s, a la Jeffrey here in this movie, because I've begun to describe things as being niche, and on certain occasions I will go one further and describe them as being, and I don't judge it, but... Neato Skeeto. And I think that's... I like Neato Skeeto. I like Neato Skeeto. It's fun to say. And sometimes, you know, I might get, like, something fun will happen or something unexpected. And I, maybe, like, a little bit like Jeffrey, I would say wowzers. Yeah. But recently, I've taken to saying wowzers trousers. Wowzers trousers, Neato Skeeto. And add that in with Yepper's Peppers, which is still in there. I've basically been faced with a Sophie's Choice here, a three-way Sophie. One of them's got to go, Sam, is basically where we're at now here. I don't know if I can go on saying Neato Skeeto, Yepper's Peppers, and Wowzers trousers and maintain the dignity of my home life. I think keep the one with trousers in there. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. I always like a trouser mention. It's on brand as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a man who wears trousers. Exactly, uh, yeah. Other than that, you're on your own. You know what? Maybe I have to drop peppers because my parents hate peppers. So Do they? They do. And as a result, the first time I had and enjoyed a pepper, I was nearly 20 fucking five years old. Like an Egypt. And I eat them every week now. Like a red pepper like or a, a green red pepper, pepper. Or pepper. Bell like peppers, pepper. sweet peppers... Red Hot Chili Peppers, my mum wouldn't even let me listen to them. She was like, roller coaster of no, get that off the radio. You hadn't had any spicy peppers. I oh, know, I mean, I had chili peppers, yeah. Yeah. But those are okay, apparently, because they're spicy. But the actual, like, big, big old peppers. The traffic light peppers. Sam, ask me if I've got any peppers in my house right now. Have you got any peppers in your house right now? Yeppers pep... Fuck it. Uh, no, nah, never mind. Never mind. Sh- nah. Sorry, damn it. Right. Another time. Jeffrey's going back to Dorothy's apartment... Dorothy says she looked for him in the closet and that she likes him and they they like each other. And then Jeffrey goes to the nightclub to watch Dorothy sing her song, but Frank's there watching her sing the song. He's tearing up at the song. Fucking hell. Ugh. It's all yucky. And then we're back again with Jeffrey in a diner with Sandy being like, oh, shucks, I'm still doing some of my investigations. It's going well. He's quite kidded out now, isn't he? Because he's, he's doing some tailing of Frank and all that. He's even mm-hmm. going on stakeouts now. So he had a kind of a special apparatus so he didn't look like he was noticeably taking pictures as well very good a, a little cord that he could pull to take a picture and there was a moment where i was like oh good so they won't look into the car and see you like going pitchy with a camera but they'll see you with two ropes going hua, 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 hua. 
much much less conspicuous. Yeah, like you've been selected as a character in Street Fighter <laughs> Four or something. So he's explaining what he's seen is that he tailed Frank and saw that the yellow man has been going into Frank's building. They've been climbing up a ladder, looking off into the distance with a well-dressed man, this mysterious well-dressed man, and then in the distance was a drug murder or something, and he's like, I'm involved in a mystery. I'm in the middle of a mystery. And that's very enticing for him. He likes mysteries enough that this is important. He says he's in the middle of a mystery and it's all secret. You know, that's the best type of mystery. A secret mystery? Secret mystery. Mm, I like that. And he also tells Sandy again that he likes her, which led me to the conclusion that there's very much a LinkedIn versus private Twitter dynamic going on here with Jeffrey between Dorothy and Sandy. Yeah, sharp contrast between milkshakes and being like, oh, gee, I'm going and investigating in the crime to what he's doing back at that apartment with Dorothy and their relationship. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going essentially between a crude language that's mostly comprised of homemade gifts and emoji to a language that's like, wow, conference really look great. What a buffet. Can't wait to catch you out there next year. Lovely spread. Lovely spread. Lovely God, spread. That wasn't all for you, I'm hoping. <laughs> So he's back again at Dorothy's apartment. They're having a sexual relationship, and we get the kind of flames and the scary noises from the dream sequence as Jeffrey is coaxed slash encouraged into being violent in that sexual scenario. Yeah, this is a it's just, it's a definite a, a slippery situation in many regards here because. She's just blatant as literally saying, hit me! You know, and that's like fucking hell. It's so... Yeah. And like, it's a thing from this point on, like, it's... He doesn't even realise this is tearing him up, that he feels that he's in this mystery and he's just like kind of... He's the protagonist and all that, yet he is doing things now that... You know, all I'm saying is, right, if you and your special someone, and as they say in the most respectful way possible, you're making whoopee, and Mm -hmm. during that whoopee, animal noises and fire happen... You may need to have a debrief afterwards and talk about how the whoopee could make whoopee for both of you. You see what I'm saying? You don't want Flaming Whoopee, which I think was a Paul McCartney album. <laughs> Flaming Whoopee was a Wings album and you know it, Sam. Come on. But yeah, the, the animal noises definitely. Scuttling as well, you know, anything like that. You don't, No, that's, that's bad. No. Those two, Dorothy and Jeffrey, they have a, a close relationship friendship they seem happy with each other afterwards it's just it's quite dark at times and like you just all it does is they present you with this and your mind reels away at like why does she want him to do this and why is it this way and is he doing the right yeah. thing or is he is she, is she doing the right thing or what, what it's literally a fucking throwing you a rubik's cube it's like a rubik's cube in that you're like that sounds horrible i don't want to solve that but it's on the counter now and it's not leaving the counter for the next week you will be thinking about this sam <laughs> but you know who's actually come to the rescue to take that rubik's cube away from us for a few minutes frank's here He sees Jeffrey coming out of the apartment. Oh, fucking hell. Frank's seen him. And he's got his ragtag bunch of friends. Yeah, aka the worst men ever. Let's all go out and get absolutely cunted, etc. These are some bad men and it's a bad time. Would you give me one of them Paps Blue Ribbons there, Michael, would you? Huh? Actually, you know what? Give us a... A second one as well. I'll, I'll have it ready. No, watch, no. Push it in the fridge for me. I'll be back in a moment. And that's what she says. Basically, that's what he says. Uh, 
Heineken, fuck that shit. Paplu Ribbon! Yeah, Come on, he's very, very aggressive. It's great, it's like watching people like battling with all like normal-type Pokemon. It's like, Cl- are you serious? Are you kidding me? Clefairy, get a load of Chansey, like, you know? <laughs> get him, Wigglytuff, like, you see? Are you alright over here? I got my Hop-type Pokemon. I'm way different. And they're in this weird f- apartment slash lair slash fucking David Lynch place. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's what I suspected was above that Chinese and Monk's Road in Lincoln all those years. <laughs> that is such a niche reference that's only for me, and I love it. And Yeah, it's but accurate. no, look, no, you might think, well, that's very niche and it's only for you, but everyone who's in a provincial town in the UK or in Ireland think there's probably somewhere where there's a restaurant which is a little bit not busy enough where they actually do suspiciously good food. What actually clocked it for me was that the fourth time I got the chips from there thinking, I feel like I'm the only man in Lincoln eating these chips. What's going on? Why are they so good something else is going on and there was this in in the flat above there's this kind of shit this i'm in a horrible vibe there's a guy called ben who's very suave he's suave man god damn you're so you're so so fucking suave fuck fucking suave fuck Uh, frank likes saying fuck and fucker and fucking and fuckhead so a two-part question here now Mm. so firstly have you ever been to a party like this where there's one person who everyone is like covertly through like hive mind just desperately trying to keep happy and make sure it's okay second part to that question has a person like that like a really aggressive horrible person in a situation taking a bit of a shine into you like he does here with suave is like i love this guy i'm gonna fucking kill him i have not had those experiences the the worst thing that has happened to me at a house party was that everyone decided that everyone would take their shirts off and I, I had to take my shirt off, and I didn't want to, and it was sad. Yeah, but Sam, in fairness, once you hear the hypnotic sounds of... Pabs Blue Ribbon! Here we Pabs Blue Ribbon! Fuck that! Strong bow, dark fruit! The next morning, it turned out someone had taken a shit in the shower, and I think I was the prime suspect, but it wasn't me. So there you go. That was my house party experience. One time, the stars of in Ireland on TV called showed up to a house party with some bands that I was friends with in Galway, and mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh, quite impressed because they were a little bit like celebrities. And slowly as the night progressed, everyone realized that it was not a nice time. And uh. one of them took a bit of a shine to me, and he was horrible. And I've not forgotten about you, big wink. <laughs> Huh? How well, about that? Here we are now, 12 years later, talking about us. Jesus, now. There we go. So, <laughs> did that person spontaneously start lip-syncing with a bit of Roy Orbison into a microphone light? No, that actually, now do you say it, sounds kind of nice. You know, that actually yeah. sounds like it's all... Because I, I love this song. I love Roy Orbison. I love this song. And not even this movie, nor Alan Wake can ruin this song for me, is impervious to being ruined. Yeah. Oh, also, Dorothy is allowed to see her kidnapped child for a bit in a back room. Uh, and while that's happening, bit of a sing-along karaoke time. Hey, everything's all right in this horrible house party thing where it's, there's definitely drugs going you on. You can and, just hear her in the background 
around going, no, no, oh God, like yeah. there's something horrible has happened with the kids. Yeah. So the, the drugs have come from the, the murder that was the committed. Drug was, murder. There was drugs that were there. And he's basically saying like he's got a connection where all the drugs from the crimes go to him. So he's just got loads of fucking drugs as well. Mm, mentions a guy called Gordon. Hmm, who's, who's Gordon? Gordon, huh? I like when he's offering a joyride with all the enthusiasm of like a late night Indian at like half two in the morning. Joyride, joyride. You know, anyone? No, 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 we share a joyride. Come on, like, come on. I don't want to be the only one having a joyride. I'll feel guilty. They have a joyride. And then they had weird shits the next day. No, it's a different, different. This is after Frank has said, let's fuck. I'll fuck anything that moves. Ha 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 ha. Because oh. he's, he's cool. Does that sound to me where he disappears? He's like, and then he disappears and they're in the car. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't disappear. No. They're having this joyride. They're driving around. Jeffrey's there. Frank gets very annoyed that Jeffrey looks at him and we kind of harken back to the thing before where don't look at him he's got his special mask out again he's breathing in getting really sexually aggressive with dorothy being gross jeffrey finally says yeah leave her alone and punches frank great but it all kicks off in an unexpected way in so much as frank pops some lipstick on kisses jeffrey calls everyone a fucker uh, and then talks about uh, I'll send you a love letter and if I send you a love letter you're dead a love letter is a bullet from a gun a love letter means you're fucked forever replace that with mix CD and you kind of see what the, the level of weirdness that you're dealing with here my favourite part as well is where he's literally like yeah now feel my muscles like, he has all these people to like massage different parts of his ego yeah. all at once all I'll say Sam is the posse's doing some heavy lifting to get the man off like if you, yes. if you need an entourage to get to that level no, 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 like, come on. Play the song. You dance over there. I'll get, get me some blue velvet. I'll put it in this guy's mouth and then I'll start punching him and then everything comes together. Get me my special beer or otherwise I can't do it. Yeah, I mean, Jeffrey gets beaten up, some blue velvet pushed into his face, wakes up all beaten up looking. He gets overcome with this scene. Is like, this, <sighs> this is what Kyle McLaughlin is more than just a pretty face here. You get to see just the, the subtlety of him, like, just waking, like, the waking up and the realising like that's one of the worst feelings in the world when you wake up and like you're immediately hit with something and it's like you don't even the chance to kind of start the engines of the fucking motor of your brain or whatever and you're just already like burdened like this and he just starts crying thinking specifically about her demanding that he hit her and that he hit her I think his experience he's had with Frank is kind of like eh, you don't you don't want to be doing that you know it's all he's been quite clearly traumatized by a pretty fucked up few days so he reveals you know some of what's happened to Sandy and Sandy saying right you need to go to the police slash my dad. He literally said things may have gotten a little out of hand. Look this stiff upper lip bullshit right here. <sighs> he goes to the police station. The yellow man is there. <laughs> he works there. He's a detective. Oh, God. Jeffrey shows the detective, Sandy's dad, the picture he took of the yellow man doing dealings with Frank. And can we just take a moment, you know, life's full of small moments and small pleasures. And I'll tell you right now, handing over a dossier of anything is great. Oh, I, I've never held a dossier in my life, and I'd love to. Oh, I'd love my to give God. someone a dossier. Recently, I got from vis-a-vis Joe, vis-a-vis her dad, vis-a-vis his, his 
now dead mother she had right. collected recipes into various folders which were then passed on and passed on passed on and then sent over to me and it was literally like Kevin there's something on your desk I'm like yes and it's like ah very good it's awful recipes from the 70s in a big dossier in like a dossier and they're all in different shapes as well there's some bits held together with newspaper tape and there's elastic bands and I'll tell you what this year for Christmas instead of a Christmas card why not present your loved Christmas one with a do- Christmas dossier instead I've gathered these festive notes and documents could be some all the receipts for the things that you got them that they'll probably want to return a picture of a thing that you made when you said Christmas dossier it actually sounds like a tasty dessert it does like a no, dossier it, it would be Christmas dossiers they come in a pack of six in a high end supermarket little swirly yeah. bit on top is it a V&A swirl no you fucking idiot it's December they call them Christmas dossiers and they gussy them up a little bit they put on a cherry to make it look like Rudolph now eat it oh I will have a Christmas dossier thank you very much bit cheeky but oh it is Christmas so we're at Sandy's house it's all moving quite quickly there's several false finishes of like everything's back to normal because he's told the adults now and, and the adults know and he's sworn he's going to stay away from all of it now so he's just going to have a date with Sandy and that's that yes they're going to a nice party um, but look they do go for a nice party but the yellow man is there at the house before they go being like oh hey I'm here looking creepy a scene which was paid homage to in Spider-Man Far From Home and I like that the MCU and the DLU like to kind of coordinate themselves like that you know keep it fresh Hmm. these two lovebirds they they go off to a party they say they love each other they're dancing they're doing some smooching they leave and uh uh-oh they're being pursued by Frank they assume Mark Mm -hmm. but no it's Mike it's Sandy's boyfriend we remember from the time we mentioned him I love that you you only ever see him like once training I think and another time like it's this scene and he's like David Lynch will often do this where he'll shoot something kind of purposely like a little bit far away and you'd think he's fucking Sandy's boyfriend he stole his girl like this guy's going to be central antagonistic character and he's like such an accessory that's not like it's like there's a different movie happening they're like sorry there's a naked victim of abuse here we need to get in the car the guy's like oh uh, sorry (laughs) although he does get a good line which is you stole my my girl you bastard now i'm gonna kick your ass in front of your stupid house oh <laughs> maze and look th- that almost this almost feels like a kind of teen movie romp situation but before we can get too much like that dorothy is just naked and beat up in the front garden all scared and it's 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 weird and mike the boyfriend is just like oh sh- uh, shit i'm sorry i didn't realize we we're in a david lynch film i'm gonna i'm gonna head off <laughs> with with these generic jocks and i'm just gonna go home i'm gonna leave you guys to it oh, i'm so sorry what accidentally has happened here is that he has connected his twitter feed to his linkedin now not realizing he was already logged in not in incognito <laughs> mode he was actually logged yeah. into the alt and therefore now we have the two girlfriends she's seeing the content and what? What's going on here? You've got. She's saying that she loves him, and she's like naked and battered, and like it's obviously an overwhelming situation. It's fucking yeah. There you are now. Yeah, Sandy's upset. I think she feels. Uh, I mean, partially confused, partially like she's been betrayed by Jeffrey because he's been having this relationship thing with Dorothy. And he hadn't even the decency to present himself up front as a bad boy. You know, if he was no. flicking a flicking a dime or had a toothpick, and he was like, "Baby, I'm." rolled into 
a tank because my dad's sick. You know, maybe, okay, we can expect this behavior, but no, no, no. She thought she was settling down with a white picket fence, nice, good, clean boy, and this is not the case. No, drinking a Coke float, that kind of thing. Nah, none of that. He's uh, weird. <laughs> he's not done that. What he's done is he's gotten your Coke float and he's actually whisked it up into a horrible froth of all bits. And it's net tanned it at the whole lot in one go and they've done a big burp that's what that's how sandy feels it's the same he says it's not that's how she feels but she does forgive him very soon after over the phone but this is this, this, this is so weird this this bit i don't think i realize how weird this bit. it's like my third or fourth time seeing the movie and when she rings him up like and she accepts his apology she's heartbroken and like literally right by the apology she says where is my dream yeah you're forgiven by the way like even though my yeah. dream is like lost in a fog of ethereal upset i kind of got a bit of whiplash from like you know there's a controversy oh sandy's upset and she She's heartbroken and sad. Like, oh, it's fine. I'm going to send my dad to Dorothy's apartment now so we can finish the film. Like, th- this bit ain't nothing. Okay. Yeah. This is, yeah, no controversy here. I mean, Jeffrey gets to Dorothy's apartment now. And we have the yellow man there with a walkie-talkie in his pocket ringing in the jacket pocket. And his brains are kind of hanging out of his head. The kidnapped husband is dead with his ear missing, tied up. He's got blue velvet in his mouth as well, I'm pretty sure. So he's been killed. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeffrey walks into this and it's just... It's it's just it is that David Lynch that this is look this is David Lynch right this is the kind of weird thing I was thinking just like stuff uh, I don't know the broad like the broadest kind of like interpretationy type thing is like is right at the start where it's like it's meant to be the kind of idyllic version of events like you see someone right at the start something we didn't mention is they're looking at the TV and you're seeing like lots of kind of violent stuff on TV and it was kind of showing right, you like yeah, yeah. even though the violent stuff in this world seems like it's make believe and it's all nice. It's actually kind of the other way around almost. And like the idea that he's actually like, right, now we're going to go off and save the husband and this is all, and the kid and it's all going to be sorted. And then like, he shows up and like they've already done everything. Like that's this is kind of brutal realism almost, isn't it? Where yeah. it's like, why would you show up at the exact time? Like these, these guys are independently of you have got fucking business to take care of and dealings with each other. Like showing up where like a guy is like dead and the other guy is like, kind of dead nearly dead it's like so just like not like there's no way you're going into that room expecting that to happen and I think that's kind of just fucking with you a bit at this point it all moves very quickly here so the the well-dressed man from before was Frank in a disguise so he's coming up the stairs just just the phrase Frank in a disguise is really upsetting to me Frank in a disguise yeah like he's going to be hanging around somewhere dressed up Uh, like Dennis Hopper is dead right yes he's not going to show up as a Super Bowl commercial or something Something like that, like him and Sarah Jessica Parker, and he's like huffing a fucking gas canister, and that's meant to sell subscriptions. Look, I mean, if David Lynch gets holds of CG and deep fakes, I I don't want to be part of that universe where he can bring back whoever he wants and do what he likes. No, that's, no, man. And you know what? No. I think Coachella has been through enough without that on night three on the main stage. Could you believe that? Welcome <laughs> to the stage, a hologram of Dennis Hopper playing Frank from Blue Velvet. I'll fuck anything. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Bring, bring, bring back Tupac. I'm sorry I made fun of him. It's all moving extremely quickly. Jeffrey's got a police walkie-talkie. He's communicating with the detective, but he also remembers from somewhere, I can't remember this, that Frank has a police radio. So he lies about where he is. He says he's hiding in the back bedroom. Frank comes up. You got shit for brains, man. You forget I got a police radio. He pretty, goes into the- pretty. <laughs> <laughs> 
goes into the back bedroom. He fucking fell for it. He got pranked, bro. Gassing himself up, running around with a gun. Comes out to the closet where Jeffrey's hiding, opens it up, and bam! Right between the eyes, Jeffrey just pops him. And and Frank Frank's gone. I mean, I just thought that would have been the exact right moment to stage the intervention. You know, he opens up the door, then all the friends and family come in and go, you are on that gas, like, seriously, for fuck's sake, would you give us a rest now? Look at you now, all gassed up, running around, dressed up as a man with a moustache. You can't even grow a moustache, Dennis. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Right. Now, here's a question for you. Mm. When he got blammoed in the face yeah was that a fist pumping come on get you some action was it a cyrus the virus was it a real like yeah the baddie's gotten his no it was like there was relief i think just this film has kind of it, it sort of wore me down to the point where i was not I wasn't in that zone of like, yeah, the baddie's gone. You it was like, more just eh. like, okay, the baddie's gone. I mean, good. That's good. There are no solutions to life's problems is the main takeaway from tonight's piece. We do kind of go into this whole thing where Jeffrey and Sandy have a smooch as the police turn up and sort everything out. The lighting goes really bright while they're smooching. Like the Robins have come and restored the light and made everything light again. We zoom out of Jeffrey's ear. You know, we went into the the removed ear before. We now come back out, but the world's all better. He's in the garden. His dad's well again. And the bloody robins are here as well, and they're eating that nasty old bug, and that fucking animatronic bird is one of the scariest goddamn things ever. I hate it so much. My absolute favourite moment of the movie, though, comes right at the end, where I think it's the aunt looks out the window, and she sees the, the bird, and she's like, huh, I don't know how they do it. I could never eat a bug. And a nice slow bite there, which if you were planning on putting anything in your mouth 30 minutes after this movie, you may want to rethink that. And look, we get the the fire engine man from the start waving. Everything's back into the picket fence mode. Dorothy and a boy are reunited, even though we thought something had happened with the boy. No, it's okay. She's all right. Everything's fine. It is a purposely, like, cheap, spoiled like paper thin ending almost like mm. and again when i first saw the movie i was like right everything's back to normal then i guess but you're not meant to be like oh this is great this is meant to be like wrong or whatever you know so yeah and I, I, you know what i'm very 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 amazed that you've been able to make it through with one piece it is actually a lot more of an oppressive movie than i ever recalled because I thought it's like it's the narratively easiest to follow but i would yeah. actually say against Maholland Drive and Eraserhead or other two, this is definitely the most like upfront in its violence, sexual and otherwise, and mm. it's real like cranking that you're meant to like a lot of time he wants you to mention to think it makes you feel like unsettled. It feels like he wants you to be upset and like really upset at points in this movie and distressed and despondent. Yeah. And those are all the, the feelings we've talked about, but where are you at with this? Have you actually enjoyed yourself? I uh <sighs> Here's a question, actually. Do you feel like now that you've been missing out all this time? You're part of the cool club now. You're going to pop on Twin Peaks log posting on Facebook and have at it with some hardcore Frasier references. This is the thing. I don't feel like this has made me think, ah, okay, I was wrong this whole time and now I really want to watch some more David Lynch content. Look, I don't really know how I feel. I felt weird. I think it's very good. 
I think it's a very good film. Why do you think it's very good? Because I want to impress the cool people. Well, like, in my first instance of watching it, my narrative in my head was, he could do no wrong. And then there was a point in time where I was mm. watching it where it's like, no, he does all sorts of things wrong. And then a later point where it's like, he neither cares if he's doing it right or wrong by your perspective or otherwise. So it's kind of hard to classify it. It's, yeah. Like, I will tell you right now, having done this, and I, I was joking about it at the start, like, it's a way harder movie to talk about and obviously it's by design. Yeah. Would you ever want to revisit something like this for Cinema Swirl? But I would say it couldn't be even in Cinema Swirl because it feels like this format doesn't even do it any sort of justice. I don't know. It's, it's one that you, I think, would benefit from more analysis, I guess. I think there's a, there's a lot of things to talk about here. And that's why people come to this podcast for the fucking film analysis, you know? Well, we're, we're not those guys, you know? The, uh, those guys are out there. Uh, those people are there talking oh, you're, you're you're certainly aware that they're out there. They're out there. Mm. I, I, I genuinely. This is the f- first time where I feel like I'm a bit bamboozled lost for how I feel and what I think. Really, it ha- it hasn't given me that big enthusiasm to go and watch a bunch of David Lynch stuff. I don't necessarily know whether I'm right or wrong in my preconceived notion. I didn't. I never thought David Lynch was bad, and I don't think this is a bad film. I think. Would you want to watch it again? Not soon probably not for a while <laughs> would you want um, to watch any other david lynch movie maybe after this? maybe yeah why are you wanting to like what are the things about this movie that made you curious because i mean you know i told you i had my fucking like it's like literally a man came into my room with like there's a mystery to solve and only you can do it young 15 year old boy who's just about getting bored with everything he's liking at the moment you know that's the greatest introduction to lynch ever it's like hey i'm gonna fucking solve a mystery but what was it about here i mean we were given a lot of oppressive shit what was it that is going to lure you back it's interesting i want to see more i actually want to see more of lynch's kind of fucking weirdness i know this was weird but this was like kind of abrasive i think he's he's definitely got a sense of humor oh and yeah, i remember no, from twin peaks yeah. that there's really funny stuff there there's little bits of that in here which is i mean a tough balancing act when you've got some of the content in this film the characters the quirkiness the strangeness the stiltedness frank is a, a an awful bastard horrible villain was compelling he kind of he he comes around the other side like it's the type of thing that if you wrote him down on paper you're like no that's too much it's too abrasive like you can't have someone like that like it's just too much it'll get old or it'll get it'll get like you only get exhausted by something like that and not be afraid of it by the end of the movie and yet the moment you're most scared of him i think is literally the right the moment before he dies he's turned the volume right up to 11 and gone fuck it make it the the, the worst villain this was really interesting and (laughs) i mean i'm definitely glad that we've done it the music was great some of the visual ideas it ticks boxes in the kind of media student part of my brain yeah. where i want to go back and look at it and be like oh why was this part of the set placed here and what you know so it it does appeal to me i think maholland drive would be one that you'd probably enjoy a lot then because yeah that's got the kind of a less of an abrasive presentation because it is like you know it, it is just it is just simply that like it's less abrasive it's less like kind of up in your face but it's yeah. more convoluted and more obtuse in terms of like the imagery like what happens like I, I would struggle to tell you what happens for most of Holland Drive again you don't have to tell me if you know you can be safe in the knowledge that you know and that's enough I think I, I maybe I actually went into this wanting things to get confusing or dreamlike or bizarre there were there was a few moments that happened like in the There's ear you that. liked that there is some of not that not enough for you in this go around sometimes it got actually too too real is what i would right, say yeah i i don't know i i 
I'm up for more surrealism. I, I I can already feel that my opinion on this movie is gonna shift and change over time. I kind of I feel think. like in, in a week's time or the next episode at the start, I need to ask you like just as a matter of interest if you thought about it. Much. <laughs> I'm gonna be thinking about it, and it feels like the star wipe rating is kind of a difficult. Like it, I don't look whatever I say here. It can easily be boiled down into a star wipe rating, is what you're saying. Yes. So and and, and yes. <laughs> Whatever I say here, do not read too much into it. It's a Star Wars break. It's not a fucking David Lynch film, am I right? It will shift and change. Are there people you think are listening to this podcast and fast forward? Like, because I would always used to back in the day be like, I'd be on IGM, like, yeah, blah blah blah. Give me the, the score. Give me the red box, baby. You know, do you think the people fast forward right at the end to hear your rating and you go Whoop. With, with a great deal of like? Love and respect to our listeners. The idea that my Star White rating means anything is hilarious. To me. <laughs> like, it's very funny. <laughs> and as we all know, we've always had a firm grip on the concept of that Star White rating as well. Very oh, firm. Two hands yeah. on us, you know? We know exactly where we are. It's a, a real important, you know, comprehensive grading system that we've got for films here. <sighs> Ask me the question. Sam. What is your star wipe rating for Blue Velvet? I'm not sure, so therefore, three star wipes. You heard it here first. Whee! Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Swirl. This episode was produced by Kevin, edited by me, Sam, and hey, I also did the music. If you're after more Swirl content or you want to support the show, or better yet, both, patreon.com forward slash cinemaswirl is the place to go on the socials we are at cinemaswirl on twitter and our facebook is facebook.com forward slash cinemaswirl which is also where our votes for episodes take place if you've got anything for the mailbag then send it on over to cinemaswirl at gmail.com that's cinemaswirl at gmail.com please do keep recommending the show to your friends leaving reviews on whatever podcast thing you use it all helps us out thank you so much all right See you next time.